Good morning, Cornerstone. Let's do the scripture reading of the day. Um, my name is Jonathan Wong, and I will be uh, leading uh, the reading of God's word together. So th- this, uh, this passage is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning of us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Glad you can join us here as we worship our God together. Um, we're beginning a new series uh, today through First and Second Thessalonians. And uh, if you're in life groups, you probably are familiar with this passage because we're changing things up where we're doing a Bible study before the week of the sermon. And so you have already read this passage and have already gone through some of the details of it and have probably received some insights already. So we hope that the sermon will uh, encourage you. You know, this is not a Bible study. The whole point of a sermon is for uh, the, the pastor to exhort, to encourage, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart in a, in a powerful way. And so um, we pray and hope that the Word of God will speak to you. As was mentioned in Nathan's prayer Jeff is away on his uh, sabbatical, so he'll be back in mid-March, and basically this series will run through till the time he comes back. And so this book uh, of the Bible, or these couple letters that we will be going through, is a letter written by Paul, and he introduces himself in that first part of our passage today. And, And Paul wrote these letters to oftentimes address some type of issue or conflict in the church, or sometimes he would just write to the church to encourage them, to uh, exhort them, to uh, tell them about how God has been faithful to them, and praise God for how God has been so good and faithful to them. And so we're going to start with a little background as to why Paul is writing this particular letter so we can understand our text for today a little bit better. In Acts chapter 17, Paul arrives in the city of Thessalonica, uh, which is to whom the letter is written to, and he shared the gospel there in that city. 
And he did so in a local synagogue, as he often did in these different cities. Then, rather quickly, his ministry began to grow in Thessalonica, and many people came to believe in the gospel, both Jews and Gentiles of that city. And some scholars believe that uh, maybe in as little as a month, so a month of ministry for Paul and uh, those who he came with, a local church was established in Thessalonica, just one month, meaning they had established their own community, that they were able to raise up their own leaders, their own elders and deacons, and to have their own government of their church and leadership. And Thessalonica itself was an important city in modern-day Greece. It had an important port on the Aegean Sea and a very important road that passed through there. It was a city that had a lot of influence in that world, in the Greco-Roman world at that time. But Paul could not stay long in that city. As the local churches began to grow, uh, opposition begins to emerge. And, and that's often the case when the Church of Jesus Christ begins to grow. A lot of opposition uh, begins to come towards them. And the Jewish leaders see what Paul is doing there, and they see many people becoming Christians. And so they instigate a big riot that happens there. And this forces Paul to flee the city to, to Athens, which is the same Athens that we know of today in Greece. And eventually Silas, or Silvanus, as Paul mentions here, uh, he and Timothy also soon follow him leaving Thessalonica. So that all happens in Acts chapter 17. So you can take a look at that to get a little bit more context for yourselves. And, but this is not when Paul is writing this particular letter to the Thessalonians. He writes this letter a good time after his visit. The, the time frame is un, you know, we're unclear. It's pretty soon after, probably within six months after. Uh, and he writes this letter because he's concerned for the church in Thessalonica. He was wondering if they were enduring this persecution that was happening to them. He was wondering if they were growing in their faith and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he actually sends Timothy back to Thessalonica, and we'll see that later on in our text or in our, uh, in our letter, which we won't cover today, but he goes and sends Timothy to check in on this young church. And Timothy goes, and then he returns to Paul, who at the time was, in, at this current time, is in Corinth, where, when he's writing this letter. And he hears a report that the church is actually doing well. So Paul writes this letter in light of Timothy's report and gives thanks to God for God has blessed them and helped them and he was with them during this trial that they have been enduring. And so he begins his whole letter with a chapter of praise to God and, and praise to the Thessalonians as well for how they are living out their faith. So that's what our message will be about today. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us here this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray for your Spirit to come upon us, O Lord. Lord, may we see uh, this text here as your word, your truth. Lord, may we see the ways in which it can encourage us, or where it can rebuke us, where it can help us to see you more clearly and understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus more clearly as well. 
Lord, may your spirit be upon all of us here in person and those watching online as well. Lord, may we give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, many people believe that the first Protestant missionary to China was a British man named Robert Morrison. And Morrison was actually a Presbyterian minister who arrived in Macau originally in 1807. And he eventually settled in the Canton region of China. And he there would live a pretty difficult life. Uh, But he would complete this amazing task of translating the whole Bible into Chinese. It took him 12 years to do this, to complete this translation. And the first copy of the Bible was published four years after that. So a total of 16 years for the first Chinese Bible to be published after Morrison began translating it. So Morrison's dedication and work made him famous back home in England. And he, eventually, he actually even got to meet the king, King George IV. And he brought a copy of this Chinese Bible to him. Eventually, Morrison would continue his work for a while until his death in China in 1834. And although you know, his work was a very early work, so it did not produce thousands of converts or anything like that, he inspired thousands of others eventually to go to China as well, to minister and to proclaim the truth of the gospel. So many of us here could probably attribute Robert Morrison as one of the people who helped us or our forefathers or our ancestors to come to know who Jesus is. Morrison lived a life that many others wanted to model. He influenced many to follow his example. And he lived a life of good repute or good reputation and and good character as well. So Paul, in our letter for today, praises the church in Thessalonica for their good reputation, for their good character. Now, of course, like every other church, including our church, they had issues, to be sure. And like churches in the first century, they had to deal with persecution. But nevertheless, they were growing and they were enduring together. And Paul begins the letter with we, that is Silvanus and Timothy, and Paul, who were all ministering to the Thessalonians previously. And they are all thankful to God for what he's been doing in the church. Paul says in verse 2 of our passage, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. He is thankful for their steadfastness of hope, their work of faith, their labor of love. He sees that God has chosen them, according to verse 4, and that God has worked in their hearts to receive the gospel with faith and love, and now living it out in hope. The word was preached to them, and they received this preached word, and they not only received the word of God, but they became imitators of them and of the Lord, of those who preached to them and of the God who was being preached about. They became imitators of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy obviously modeled this faith to them. And now it is evident that they are modeling their faith to those around them as well. It says in verse 7, So that you become, an, you become 
and example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And oftentimes when we become Christians, we learn how to be Christians from those who led us to understand the gospel, who are at least in some way a part of sharing the gospel with us. I heard one story of a sports writer uh, who became a Christian and asked, uh, and he uh, asked his life group or small group members, so, you know, how am I supposed to be a Christian now, like act as a Christian now? You know, he was a new Christian at the time. Am, am I supposed to be like a Republican now? Or, you know, do I like not listen to secular music anymore? Or like, you know, what, what, what is this, you know, how are we supposed to live as Christians now? Because he genuinely did not know. So he asked the community around him, how am I supposed to be as a Christian? He wanted to know how he was supposed to live. And he sought out his fellow brothers and sisters who were a part of that process of helping him understand what it means to live as a Christian. I remember myself as a young high school student learning from my pastors and my counselors and teachers of, of how to live out my faith. That's why I'm thankful I grew up in a church that modeled the faith well, teaching me uh, how in all things we're to give glory to God, how important it is to be generous with our resources, to be generous with our time to those in need, teaching, uh, teaching me how important it is to regularly worship the Lord and how we should not uh, stop meeting one another and gathering together and how important it is to come especially on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, to rest in the Lord, to come together and corporately give praise and glory to God. Now, now that doesn't mean I did all of this well, right? Of course, I did not do everything well. I was far from uh, being good at modeling the faith like they did to me. But I learned through that process. And we see how powerful it is, uh, how powerful this influence can be that we have on one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And this can be a positive influence or a negative influence. When we have leaders that are abusive, when we have churches prioritizing the wrong things, like prioritizing money or prioritizing just number of people coming through our door, instead of just truly loving the church, can lead to a stain on the church when people see this. In recent years, we have seen countless stories of sexual abuse in the church and spiritual abuse in the church where leaders use scripture or doctrine to oppress people, to force people to follow their authority or silence those who disagree with them, all in the name of right doctrine, all in the name of making sure you follow the authority of the church, all in the name of biblical truth, using these tactics to oppress others. This has led to an extremely negative picture of the church and has led to many leaving the church and others to mock the church because of the church's shortcomings. How, how we model our faith is of great importance, modeling our faith to fellow believers, of course, but to also the world around us. And we have a few ways here in our passage where we can learn to model our faith based on how the Thessalonians lived and how Paul describes the faith of the Thessalonians. In verse 3, he says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, 
and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul rejoices in these graces, right? The work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope. These graces have become evident in the Thessalonian Christians. So these graces that we see will help us frame the ways in which we can model our faith from our text today. So first is we model our faith by receiving the gospel with joy and affliction. And this is the Thessalonians' work of faith. And in our faith journey, this is usually the beginning and foundation of our faith. We come to have faith in the Lord and we receive the gospel with joy even despite what affliction may come. For Paul, he knows that suffering comes with the territory when you become a Christian. Paul endures affliction many times and he he remains faithful in spite of it. So Paul knows what affliction is and he says he is so thankful that they have received the gospel with joy in spite of this affliction. They even turned from their idols, as it says in verse 9. Paul says also that the Holy Spirit came into them with full conviction. By the grace of God, they were able to endure persecution, stay firm in the gospel that they had heard and that they had received. and They lived a life of joy in the midst of this affliction. When we endure affliction or pain, it is usually not joyful. That's the last thing that we would, how we would describe it. It is quite the opposite. That's why when people go through suffering and pain, sometimes it actually leads them away from God. We live in a day and age where we are persecuted for our faith. Not, maybe not like the Thessalonians, but we are persecuted for our faith. Maybe we do not fear violence and rioting like they did, but we do face strong opposition. And I know that many of our uh, worldly teachers and professors in our schools, many of them openly insult or degrade our religion. Ironically, in the name of tolerance and acceptance, they do these things. I remember in high school, there would be arguments and debates about religion. And you know, I went to high school like 15 years ago, and it would get really tense and heated. It is a controversial topic of conversation, to say the least. And in those moments, it can lead us to hide our faith or to hide our beliefs. I remember a friend of mine would not share about his faith at school. He said he's never going to share his faith because he was so afraid of how his teachers would view him. I know people have said that about their situation in their jobs, that they would never, ever share their faith at their job because their job is very progressive or liberal and and if they shared that he's openly Christian, it would you know, jeopardize his status in his workplace. And there are even some supposed Christians who now believe that the world is so antagonistic to Christianity that we shouldn't really even evangelize anymore. We shouldn't even share our faith at all. But the Thessalonians, they endured persecution and they lived Enjoy. They trusted him and believed in him and turned away from their idols to worship the true and living God. And they were obviously open about their faith because others saw their faith 
as well. May we have a faith that can do that also. The second way we model our faith is by proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed. And this is their labor of love. In our faith journey, this is how we are to live as followers of Christ. Paul says in verse 9 that they went out and served the living and true God. Not only did they believe and have faith, but they went out and they proclaimed the good news. And that is the ultimate act of serving the Lord when we proclaim the good news of Him and His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. This probably included evangelistic activities like proclaiming the gospel openly and sharing it, sharing the truth of Jesus. But it also appears that people were drawn to them because of the way they lived their lives. So proclaiming the gospel, preaching the gospel, and sharing this news with words is crucial. We need to do that. But it also means we are to act out our faith, act on our faith, and bring glory to God in our words and in our deeds, in our actions. The word preached saves lives, but when we fail to live out the word, that can lead people away from God. As I mentioned earlier, there have been countless stories of abuse in the church in recent years. And what has happened is there are countless people, many of whom who are women who are abused, have left the church altogether, who have abandoned their faith because they have seen the sinfulness and hypocritical ways of the leaders, and especially many pastors who have fell into sin. And so that is a warning to myself as a pastor about how my actions have consequences. And many people have been hurt by the church as a result, and many have not recovered from it. Brothers and sisters, we are called to proclaim the gospel in word and Indeed, And if we fail to do both, then we may be leading people away from God. But when we do preach the word and we do live out as good witnesses to the world, it can draw people to Christ as it did for the Thessalonians. The sports writer I mentioned earlier, uh, his name is Jonathan Charks, and he became a Christian later in life. And he was first drawn to Christianity by watching the life of a Christian co-worker. And so he saw this Christian co-worker and he was, he was intrigued by the way this person lived, the, the kindness he had, the generosity, the selflessness that he lived with. And then he, you know, he lived a secular life and he actually had a supernatural experience. And he had it, of all places, at a nightclub while he was dancing to EDM and he was high on drugs. And this was when he realized what, what they were doing at this nightclub was worshiping the devil. He saw in the supernatural vision, wow, I am worshiping a demon. This is so evil and wrong. And so then he realized right then and there, there must be some God, some spiritual forces at work here, and he couldn't live the way he did anymore. And so he then joined the church. And when he joined the church, Christianity made sense to him. And by the grace of God, he became a follower of Jesus. 
And he eventually met his wife at church and had a child. And he lived a life seeking to model his faith wherever he went. But sadly, he passed away last year at the age of 34 from a rare sarcoma, a cancer. And he left behind his wife and his two-year-old son as a result. Uh, Many tributes came out in the sports world memorializing him. He was mainly a basketball writer. And so many of them talked about his Christian faith. They knew he was a Christian. He was open about it. He even shared the gospel with those around him at times. And he even wrote an article about his testimony in a secular media website where he worked. If we model our faith and proclaim the gospel in word and in deed, who knows how many people around us the Spirit will be working in to draw them to him. How we live our lives truly matter, and the Spirit can work by how by the actions that we do in our everyday lives. And so may the Lord help us to proclaim the gospel, to love our neighbors, and to serve the living and true God in our words and in our deeds. Lastly, we model our faith by living in the hope of the resurrected Jesus. This is the steadfastness of hope. In our faith journey, this is the final hope we look forward to. We will experience the victory of resurrection because Christ was resurrected, meaning we too will rise and live forever. But currently, right now, we live in the hope of eternity that this life here is not the end. There is a better destination waiting for us when our life on earth ends. Verse 10 says, And to wait For his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We live with the eternal hope where we do not have to fear judgment, fear death or condemnation any longer. We are totally free from our sin through the work of the cross. When Jesus returns again, all will be restored and redeemed. So what does living in the hope of the resurrected Jesus look like? It is knowing that this life is not the end. It is knowing that we can be steadfast in our faith and steadfast in our trust in Jesus because we have a hope. We have an eternal hope. No matter what happens here on earth, we know the destination. We know where we're going. And that should give us hope in the life that we are living now. Our emotions and feelings often affect our hope and faith in Jesus. When we feel bad about our life circumstances, we feel far away from God oftentimes. Or we may even blame God for our life situations. You know, if something good happens, though, we praise God. We give thanks to Him. But when we truly live in the hope of the resurrected Jesus, It really doesn't matter how we feel. We know the truth. We know that he will deliver us from the wrath to come. We know that we will have the victory over sin and death and the devil. We know that all things will work together for our good, as it says in Romans 8. So that means when we wake up on Sunday morning and we don't feel like coming to church or worship 
God together. Maybe some of us had a little too much fun last night, stayed up a little late, right? Or maybe we're not having fun and we're studying late. Whatever the case is, we wake up and we're tired. We don't want to go, right? We don't want to go. Many of us feel that way on Sunday mornings. We'd rather just stay in bed or just watch the stream. Living in resurrection hope is knowing that even though we do not want to go, we still want to go. We want to go because we know that we should go, and, and not in the legalistic way, right? We, we know we should go because it doesn't matter how we feel. We know that in spite of our feelings, Jesus will still work in us. In spite of our feelings, God moves in us when we worship him together. So even when we show up to our worship gathering on Sunday morning and we don't feel it, it's all right. It's all right. God still moves. God still works. And we obey him because we have the eternal steadfast hope that can never be taken away. That doesn't mean that um, our love for God or affection towards God doesn't matter. Of course, that still matters. There should be moments in your life where you feel this enormous love and thankfulness and peace and you, and you, and you, and you just have an overwhelming sensation of love and thankfulness to God. Of course, we should have that in our lives. But we won't feel that all the time. We may not even feel it most of the time. So when we don't feel it, we obey. We follow Jesus because we have this hope. We have this truth that God will work in us and move in us. And so that is why we go. We go because we trust that God will move in us every week we go to worship him together as he calls us to do, as he commands us to do, to rest in him on the Sabbath. And this leads me to my last point. Modeling our faith by believing the gospel with joy and affliction, by proclaiming the gospel in word and deed, by living in the hope in the resurrected Jesus, are not things that we can do on our own. Going back to the very beginning of our letter, Paul thanks God for the work he has done in the Thessalonians. This is all a work from God. Only God deserves thanks for what he has done. God is the one moving. God is the one working. Only by the grace of God can we model our faith to those around us. The Thessalonians were not able to be a model of faith to those around them because of their superior theology or because of their superior willpower to follow Jesus. They were able to do it by the grace of God. So when we see the example of the Thessalonians, we shouldn't be saying to ourselves, oh, we need to try harder and use our own effort to be like the Thessalonians. That's not what Paul means by being imitators of, of us and being imitators of the Lord. Paul is saying, let us trust in the grace of God through Jesus so that we can model our faith like the Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, it is all thanks to God. So pray and ask the Lord. Pray and ask the Lord, for he alone can help us model our faith. He alone can change us. He alone can move in us to 
transform us in our lives. That is why God sent Jesus to die for us, because of our sinfulness. We could not do this on our own. And by the work of the cross, he pardoned us of our sins. And when we trust in him, when we have faith in him, it gives us the power and ability to overcome our sin. And we can then model our faith to those around us. It all begins with Jesus, and it all ends with Jesus. So may we give thanks to God for what Jesus has done and what he continues to do in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word here today, for showing us how we need to give you thanks for all that you are doing, all that you have done, how we have come to know you by your grace, how we can be preserved in our faith by your grace. God, help us to see the ways in which we can grow in, in modeling our faith and how Paul uh, gives praise to you for the work that you have done in the Thessalonian church. So God, help us to, to truly have faith in you, to truly live out our faith in word and in deed, and to live in the eternal hope that you have for us. God, we know that doing these things cannot save us in any way, but Lord, we can only do these things because you have saved us, because you continue to work in us and transform us. So God, we pray now as a church, help us. Help us to believe in you, to live out our faith, to live in hope. Help us, O oh God, by your Spirit. Speak to all of us here. And may we be a church that truly loves you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves our neighbors as we love ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.